In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void and darkness covered the face of the deep. And the spirit of God hovered over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And he called the darkness night. And the, nar- and the light he called day. And the evening and the morning was the first day. This narrative is woven throughout our scriptures. It's given to us by God to let us know there is something coming. I want you to be aware of this and God's unique ability to meet us in that place, that place of chaos, that place of emptiness, that place of obscurity, that place of death. God says, let there be light. Pastor Nathan and I were visiting this week, and he reminded me of uh, uh, some rabbinical teachings that I had heard years and years ago that had come up in some other teachings. And um, by the way, pray for Pastor Nathan. Oftentimes, we'll go into his office with one thing, and we leave an hour and a half later uh, talking about a lot of things. And uh, I just, it's really cool to be on staff with, with godly people who love the Lord and, and can challenge and pray with you. And I, I love that about uh, our staff here. But I want to encourage us. In fact, I want to challenge us. If you are in that place where you have never walked in this light, in other words, received Jesus as your Savior, or if you have received Jesus as your Savior, but you keep looking back at Egypt and saying, well, the food over there was pretty good, then I want to insist. I want to insist today that we would walk in faith, that we would walk out of the wilderness and into the promised land led by Jesus. That's the challenge. Are you ready? All right. Let's pray and we're going to jump in the word. Jesus, we love you and we praise you. I ask Almighty God that in a very real way you would speak to us and perhaps even through us today, that as we consider this book of Deuteronomy, Lord, and the the bigger narrative that is woven by the power of your Spirit in a holy way, as we consider these things, that we wouldn't just intellectually understand them, but that we would spiritually absorb them, that, Father, for some of us today, this this message is going to feel like a holy hug from heaven, (laughs) and Lord, it's going to be great, and for others of us today, it's going to be a swift kick in the shins. And I I recognize that, Lord, but I pray for each of us uh, hearing this today that we would receive it for what what it's intended by the power of your Spirit to be. That you would move in this place. That you would move through the power of your Word. And in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we would receive these things. Not for our glory, but for yours. Not for our plan, but your plan that we would have eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand. And Lord, even right now, I would pray that you would hide me behind the cross of Calvary. That, Lord, it would be your words and not mine. Lord, that you would speak to us. And, and Lord, I, I just would pray that you would empty me out even today. That this is not about any one of us individually, but it's all about you. So be exalted and be lifted up. And it's in Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Well, we are in the book of Deuteronomy in the first five. And Matt and I were joking this week. We said, you know, uh, we're able to... to, um, 
to summarize these books very easily in about an hour and a half. Uh, we're, we're trying hard to do it in 40 minutes. We'd like to do it in 30. You'd like us to do it in 15, but uh, we're doing what we can here. Uh, it's, it's amazing, though, to see God's work in his books and, and how God uniquely meets people and the power of God in those places. Sometimes we read the Bible as if it's all about us. Well, when we read, especially the Torah, the first five books, the Pentateuch, we see it's all about God and God's interaction with humankind. And in God interacting with humankind, there is a call. <laughs> there is this holy uplifting to come join him in his work. And the choice is ours. We can accept or we can reject. And that's our call. Deuteronomy is... Uh, it is the Greek term for the fifth book of the Bible, and it means two laws. It doesn't mean that uh, this is a better law than the other one. It's really just a second telling of the law. Kind of a cool thing that happens is Moses, is a, he's led them as far as he can. God allows Moses to look into the promised land but not walk into the promised land. That's Joshua's job. But Moses takes them to the edge, and while he's there, he gathers the children of Israel. And in gathering the children of Israel, he tells them the story again. Deuteronomy is a series of sermons, of messages that identify history, that identify uh, laws, and that specifically call Israel to follow God uniquely. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, we get the Ten Commandments given to us again. And in getting the Ten Commandments, the children of Israel are reminded. Because the scripture says that they didn't know right from wrong. They need to know right from wrong. How do they know that? Well, here's one way. And God gives it to them very clearly, the Ten Commandments. And then the Shema in chapter 6, starting in verse 4. The Shema is a prayer that is said by Every Israelite from that time even to now. And it begins like this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The idea of hearing is not just to hear, to listen, but rather to respond. I hear it and I respond. I do it. Sometimes I, I do this with my own kids. I'll say, hey, could you take out the trash? Uh-huh. Okay, do you hear what I'm saying? Yes, Dad. And they take out the trash, right? They hear me. It's that idea here. It's not just to hear what we're saying, that there is one God, but also the identifier of who God is, that he is one. In the nations around them, there are all these different types of deity. There's deity for fertility and deity for the sun and the moon and deity for afterlife. But Israel's God is one. There is one deity. You don't have to go search for the God of fertility and the, the, the God of afterlife and the God of the sun and the moon and the stars. But God is that God. He is one and he is unified within himself. He is one. Remember that, Israel. The next statement is to love God. Hear and love. Hear and love. This is the call. And then Moses, as he gathers them, he reminds them also of their waywardness, <laughs> that they inherited it. Uh, you, got it, 
You got it from a good place, your family. You're rebellious, and you'll be rebellious. So beware. Beware, lest when God's goodness and the fruits of his goodness come upon you, you forget that you were slaves in Egypt, and God, with a mighty hand, has rescued you and taken you to the promised land. This is an important message. And then from there, um, Moses concludes and he goes to rest to be with his fathers. And Joshua takes over and takes them across the Jordan and into the promised land. That's an important message. And it's an important message for us to remember as we consider the Pentateuch and the narrative that's woven into the Pentateuch and as we respond in faith to it. Let's look at some things. We're going to go all the way back to Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless. Let's pause and talk about that formlessness for a moment. In Genesis chapter 1, it's identified as the first part of creation, and from a Western perspective, we'd really like to, to put that in a box, compartmentalize it, and set it off to the side and intellectually say, yes, this is creation. This is how creation happened. But from an Eastern mind, this is, this is some foreshadowing happening. There are some other things that are about to happen. And I want you to know about this formlessness that is going to happen, that is woven throughout the scriptures, not just in the Pentateuch, I would say, but broadly over the Old Testament. Not just broadly over the Old Testament, but also into the New Testament and the work of Christ. And not just there, but in our lives individually. The word tohu is this word formless. It means more than formless or without form. It could also mean uh, confusion, has the idea of chaos associated with it. It can mean vanity. It can mean vanity. And it's often used to mean wilderness. Wilderness. Formless wilderness. So what does that mean? Well, Israel, if you remember, in Exodus chapter 16 and Numbers chapter 32, they spend 40 years in formlessness, in the wilderness, in a place of confusion, in a place where they have to make some decisions. How do I follow God in this place? Because of my own rebellion, there are some serious consequences that I have to deal with, and the best I can do is be obedient in this moment, in this place, at this time. But I'm in a place of formlessness. It's interesting because in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus begins his earthly ministry after his baptism. And where does he start it? He's led by the Spirit to the wilderness. For 40 days, Jesus is in the wilderness, that place of confusion, that, that place of formlessness. And he walks there. And what I'm doing right now is making some connections. We're putting some dots on the page, and now we're starting to connect them. This formlessness happened uh, at creation. It happened within the nation of Israel. And even Jesus embraces this, or, or at least it's addressed in Jesus' life. And I would suggest that for all of us, we have come to those wilderness wanderings, those places of vanity, those places of formlessness, that place of confusion. And we need to enter into the promised land. Let's continue on. Because it's not just formless that we have to address. We also have to address the void. 
the void is, uh, is used three times in Scripture, always associated with that first term, tohu, and then this word is bohu. Isn't that kind of fun? Tohu, babohu, right? <laughs> That's fun to say. It's connected every time with this. Used uh, in a few places, but the, the first time we see it is in the creation, right? Again, we'd like to put that in a bucket and talk about it intellectually anytime we're thinking of creation. Okay, yeah, that void was there. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but I know it was there and it's associated with the formlessness, but that's about it. It also means empty or to be emptied. We see it with Israel in Exodus chapter 16 again when they're wandering in the wilderness. It's that void is connected. But there's an interesting place where it's connected with Jesus. And so we could say that by extension, Jesus being in the wilderness, he's also dealing with this emptiness, this void, and that's probably true. But we also see that in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, uh, there's a unique thing that occurs when Jesus empties himself out, taking the very nature of a servant, being in humble likeness, and being found in appearance as man. Jesus empties himself out and the early church fathers, they, they wrestled with this one. So does that mean that he emptied himself out of being God? Well, that doesn't make sense. Then he must have emptied himself out of being man and poured God in. Or is that right? And they wrestled with this. Like, this is a centuries-old wrestling, you guys. This isn't just a, oh, yeah, that must be that. But Jesus himself empties himself out connecting with this narrative that is woven from creation through Israel, through the kings and prophets as well, and all the way through Jesus and the church. Have you been in that place where you feel emptied, where you've been walking through the wilderness, and you're at that place where you want to you step into the promised land? Well, there's hope. There's hope and there's a way. Let's keep talking. Darkness. Whoops. I don't know if I double-clicked that or what I did. No? Okay. Don't read the bottom one yet. Okay? Thanks. It doesn't matter right now. Okay, don't read. You're reading it. I see you. You're not even focused now. Come on. <laughs> darkness. Let's talk about darkness. Uh, again, uh, this is a Hebrew word, choshek. Uh, it means darkness. It also means obscurity. Obscurity. The ninth plague in Egypt was darkness. Do you remember that? It was a darkness that was felt. They didn't just walk in darkness. They felt the darkness. And for some of you here today, you, you don't have to think hard about a time where you walked through that type of choshek, that type of darkness that was consuming. Not just, not just in a way that you had to walk through a season where you, didn't, you couldn't really find your way, but you also felt it. It's a, it's a difficult place to be. But, but I want you to know, whether you are there or whether you've been tempted to go back there, that God says, let there be light. And there was light and it is good. And there's a crossing over from the wilderness to the promised land, and it's available. Woven into the fabric of scriptures, it's ready. Your call, though. The next word, the final term, 
deep. The final term is deep. And in this, uh, the, the deep refers to an abyss, sometimes metaphorically meaning death. Again, in Genesis 1, but we see uh, this deep uniquely played out uh, throughout the wilderness wanderings. Remember, that whole generation of people died before they could go into the promised land. They, they couldn't go. The consequences of their actions, their unfaith, their fear, they weren't allowed to go into the promised land. A whole generation of people. They're stuck in that place of death, the abyss, the deep. We see that with Israel. And then there was this time for Jesus too, where he's on the cross and he gives up his spirit. And just before that, it's recorded in Luke chapter 23 that there, that there is this darkness that takes over and then Jesus goes into the grave, the abyss, the death. Our God is is willing to live this out, that we don't have to stay in this wilderness wanderings, this place where there is formless and void and darkness and deep. And Jesus was willing to go there for us, that we don't have to be there. Look, I, I, I'm not a prophet. I don't know the end. I don't know if it's coming tomorrow. I don't know if we're going to live uh, on this earth another 7,000 years or if Jesus is coming at the end of the week or if our time is simply up in the next moment. All I know is that we have right now to respond to God. And, and my challenge for us, and I insist that we respond to God. Like, I'm, I'm insisting. Because I believe beyond the shadow of the doubt that this is an important time for us individually. It's an important time for us corporately. It's an important time for, for us in terms of the end. And it's coming. What is going to be our response in these days? In Israel, with Israel at the end of Deuteronomy, Moses passes. And Joshua takes over. And Joshua is called, don't be afraid, don't be terrified. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And Joshua leads the children of Israel into the promised land in a mighty way. And he has to take, some, he has to take charge. There's some... Uh, military work that has to happen for that land to be theirs, and that's another message another day. But it's Joshua who takes them across the water and into the promised land. Interesting name, Joshua. In Hebrew, that name is Yeshua. In the New Testament, we know of another Yeshua. He's referred to as Jesus. Jesus' Hebrew name is Joshua Yeshua. And isn't it interesting that it's Jesus that helps us to cross over into the promised land? In fact, it's through him that we cross over into the promised land, this Jesus, this Yeshua. But interestingly, it happens backwards with Jesus. So Jesus doesn't start with water, or I'm sorry, Jesus doesn't end with water to go into the promised land. He starts with it. In Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is baptized. Think about that for a moment. God being baptized. Why? Well, perhaps there are many reasons. One of those reasons, though, is a part of this narrative that is woven through the fabric of Scripture, through time and culture, 
and meets us, that God himself would come in the flesh and that God himself would cross that water to bring us to him, into the promised land. Let me show you, let me bring you to this place. Jesus' ministry begins with the crossing of water at his baptism that we would then be able to walk with him, to go with him into the promised land. You may be in a place where there is confusion in your life. You may be in a place where there is a wilderness wandering consumed by vanity. You may be in a place of just being emptied out like, God, I have nothing else in this place. I can't give. What I have found out is that the best I have to offer is nothing and won't fix anything. And that might be you in this place. You might be in a place of obscurity and darkness and struggling. And it might be pulling your soul down to a place of deep despair. And I just want to tell you to take heart that there is a God who is willing to cross the waters to bring us to him. Jesus' death on, uh, on the cross is the hope that we have. His resurrection is the hope that we have. And friends, time's getting short. I don't know if this is the end, but standing on this hill, I don't know how many hills and valleys are between us in the end, but standing on this hill, I think I could see it. I'm telling you, I'm losing sleep over this stuff. Not out of worry, but out of intensity of the moment. Like, we got to respond in faith in this place. It's time. So, would you be willing to respond during this time? At the end of Deuteronomy, Moses has the children of Israel gathered and he calls heaven and earth to testify. And he says something interesting in this place. Verses 19 and 20, he says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. That life is to follow me, the death is separation from me. And with the life is blessing, with the death is curse. And then he says, therefore choose life, that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days. Did you get that? He is. Like there is no life without him. Real life is experienced in him, with him, through him, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. The response really is to Jesus. And what will it be? I, I, I just want to pause, and um, in just a moment, the worship team is going to come as we transition to communion. And as, as they're starting to come out, I, I want to take a moment together, and I want to pray for you. If you're in a place today where you're saying, man, Kenny, that formless void, darkness, and deep stuff, that's, that's what I'm going through. And yeah, I've been on the other side, but sometimes I just I look over at Egypt and the vegetables and the fruits that we had there, and it didn't seem so bad. And sometimes I just want to taste that and go back. If, if you've been in that place, I want to encourage you to stand in just a moment, and I'm going to pray for you. If you're in a place where you're saying, man, Kenny, I I have come up to the edge of myself and I just can't cross over into the promised land. I'm struggling. I am struggling. 
Let me tell you, friend, you need Jesus, and that's not like the, the Sunday school message. That's the truth of the matter. You need Jesus to deliver you, to take you over into that promised land. And I'm going to have you stand as well. So, uh, worship team, I'm going to have you go ahead and come on up. And as you're coming up, I want to pray for you, church. If you're in that place of formless, a void of darkness, of deep, would you stand where you are? Would you be willing to stand? And that's okay. There is, there is no pressure. But I want to I take some time and just really pray for you. Jesus, we love you. And I thank you for uh, those here today who are in that place of formless void, darkness, and deep. And the reality is we've all been there. We've all walked in those places. We've all seen it. We've all tasted it. And we hate it. And so, Jesus, I pray right now for our friends that you would help, that you would be the deliverer, that Jesus, because of your work on the cross, because if the sun sets you free, you're free indeed, Jesus, I pray that you would Help them to cross over into the promised land to live in that place of victory. Jesus, I, I, I pray in a real way that you would answer some questions that, that perhaps are being struggled with even right now. We love you, O oh Lord, and we praise you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for those of you standing, and, and for those of you who are standing in your heart. I get it. We're transitioning to a time of communion years ago, when, and I, I know I shared this with some of you before, but years ago, one of my daughters said, Dad, I can't wait for family reunion. I just can't wait. Well, she was little, 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 and we, my family's in Indiana, and Cindy's family was three hours away at the time, and we like, honey, there's no family reunion planned. That's like, what are you talking about? And she looked at me like I was speaking gibberish. I said, no, Dad, I mean family reunion. You know, with that little bread and with that cup, with the juice in it, Dad, I want, I want family reunion again. And I just thought that is a beautiful picture of what this is. It's a reunion of, of what Jesus has done in our life, that his life was broken for us. And we come together as a family and we remember that, that he offered his, his life, his blood that we could have life, and we remember that. This is communion, but it's also a family reunion, and I don't ever want to forget that. Friends, if you have your communion with you even now, I want to encourage you to take out the bread and remember the body that was broken for us. Remember the God who loved us so much that he was willing to cross over into our world that we would have life and that we would have it abundantly because of his work on the cross. Let's participate together. We remember the cup that was passed, reminding us that we're drinking of Jesus, and Jesus was willing to give it all that we would have life. And because Jesus was willing to give it all that we would have life, there is a response to us to participate in his life. And so we remember the blood that was given, that we could have life. Let's participate together. Jesus, we love you, and we thank you and praise you. We are amazed, O oh Lord, at your goodness to us. And we ask, 
oh Lord, that you would, that in this, in this message where we have seen you weave so creatively life into chaos, into disorder, into confusion, into death, we ask, oh Lord, that you would give us life again that we would be a church filled with life and that life found in you and that it's moment by moment, day by day, that with your presence and with your word, we get victory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.